So today, as I mentioned, we're going to begin a sermon series on the parables of Jesus, and we're going to begin in Luke chapter 15. But I want you to do something over the next few weeks as I read Scripture. And if you're like me, I need to be reminded of things. So I'll remind you week after week of kind of the point of why we're looking at the parables and how I would like you to listen to these Scriptures as they are read each Sunday. If you notice anything about parables... How often are people given proper names in parables? It doesn't happen. People are unnamed. People are anonymous. And do you know why that is? A parable is a literary technique in which we are invited to put ourselves into the story. So over the next several weeks as I read these parables of Jesus, I want you to listen closely and do what you need to do. Maybe you need to sit there and just close your eyes. Um, maybe you need to look around. Whatever you need to do to be able to listen closely and carefully, I invite you to do that. And I want you to listen with this in mind. You ready? Here's your question. Here's your homework. Who am I today in this story? Not who you want to be, not who you will be, not who you, maybe you once were, but right now in this moment. Who am I in this story? So with that in mind, I invite you to listen to these words from Luke chapter 15. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls on all his friends and neighbors together and he says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and she loses one of them. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and she says, Rejoice with me! I have found my lost coin." In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, open our minds and our hearts. Fill it with all that you would give us today. May we find hope and peace. May we experience your love in a new and fresh way. We ask this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. All right, I want to test out, for those of you who were here last Sunday, I want to test something out here. How many of you remember sort of what the the central thesis statement of my sermon was? It's all about Jesus. Somebody was listening. Thank you. All right, let's say that together with conviction like we mean it. It's all about Jesus. All right. Okay, I believe it. I believe I believe you believe it. It's all about Jesus. And so in preaching that last week, what I was endeavoring to do was really set the tone for our time together. 
that's all about Jesus. Friends, I think if we get distracted and we, and we lose that central focus, then everything else tends to go off the rails. It's all about Jesus. I've seen in my life, and I have no doubt if we went around this room, we would hear testimonies from folks, that when we focus on Jesus, when that becomes the focal point, the linchpin, the hinge upon which our lives turn, so many other things tend to fall into line. They get proper priority. It's all about Jesus. And so, looking over the next several weeks at the parables of Jesus, um, we're going to do several things. Today are the parable of the lost sheep and the lost coin. Familiar parables, right? How many of you have heard these parables before? You, kind of, you, you know about them. You know about the coin and the, and the lost sheep, right? There's a lot of imagery in the Bible about God being a shepherd, Jesus being the good shepherd. Um, this, this understanding that God is, is seeking us. In this parable... These two parables for today, the parable that we're going to look at next week, and in so many other parables, we find what I believe to be the central truth of the Christian life. Hear me now. The central truth of the Christian life, which is that God is always searching for us. Now, we talk about searching for God and finding God, and as I mentioned in children's time, we read Scripture, we pray, we have all these ways, yes. But first and foremost, God seeks us. And God is seeking us all the time. And we respond to what God is doing. In parables, this this way that Jesus teaches so frequently, in fact, uh, uh, over half of his teaching is communicated in the form of parable. A parable was a way that Jesus would draw on metaphors and images that would have been common to his listeners. So you find a lot of agrarian images and metaphors. Um, Think of the, the wheat and the tares, right? The sower who goes out to sow. Jesus would pull images that would be readily understandable by his audience and uses those as a way to communicate spiritual truth. So parables tend to address Three main points, often all three points in a single parable. The first is God-human relationships. So who it is the nature of God? Who is God? And how does God seek to be in relationship with His creation and with people? So God-human relationships, and then human relationships, interpersonal relationships among people. What does that look like? Think of one of the most famous parables The Good Samaritan. Really, at its core, one of the truths that that parable communicates is how should human beings be in relationship with each other? And if you remember from that parable, it's the, it's the, it's the Samaritan. It's the non-practicing Jew. It's the one who's unclean, who is the model for what it means to be in relationship to other people. That's the one that Jesus holds up. So that parable teaches us about human relationships. And then there are often moral and ethical demands or teachings that a parable gives to us. Some some way of, of proper behavior, of right living. To use a biblical word of righteousness. Right living. That is often communicated in parables. So as we go through the parables over the next several weeks, keep these three points in mind. And perhaps as you, as you read them on your own or as you hear them read, think to yourself, okay, 
What is this parable teaching me about God and God's nature and, and the way God wants to be in relationship with his people? What does it tell me about human relationships and what sort of moral and ethical demands on my life is this parable making? Well, the first parable, as I mentioned, is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, here's a, a bit of biblical interpretation. We're often given the, either the key to the parable or the reason why Jesus is teaching in a parable in that context in the first place. So at the beginning of Luke chapter 15, what happens? Well, the Pharisees and the tax collectors, right? These um, good, observant religious people and people whose job it was to, to work for the government, keep people in line by collecting taxes, they're around Jesus. And what happens? Can you believe, can you believe this Nelson over here? Nelson welcomes sinners and he eats with them. The scandal. Now for us, we may read that scripture and we may gloss over it. But in Jesus' day, this was scandalous. He welcomes sinners. He eats with them. To sit down at a table and to share a meal with someone did several things in the ancient world. It puts you on their level. It invited them into a place of vulnerability and hospitality. To share a meal was to open yourself up entirely to another person. So for Jesus to do this with sinners, tax collectors, the good, observant religious people didn't like this at all. And so to respond to their grumbling, Jesus teaches in parables. And the first one is the parable of the lost sheep. Now, here's another clue about parables. Often they contain within them something absurd. So in this parable of the lost sheep, Jesus says to them, Well, listen, how many of you, if you were a shepherd and you had a hundred sheep and one of them goes lost, and you're in it, do you hear the detail in the parable? You're in a wide open space. You would leave the 99 and go for the one. Who wouldn't do that? Well, I'm sure people around Jesus would have said, Well, What's, what's wrong with this guy? Of course we wouldn't do that. You would cut your losses and move on. Because what happens when you left 99 to go search for one? What could happen? A predator could come in and you might come back to 40 or 50 sheep. Thieves would come in. They would steal the, from the flock. Yes, this is... So, of course, when Jesus tells this parable and he says, well, who wouldn't do this? They're thinking, well, none of us would. Of course we wouldn't do that. It would be absurd. It would be ridiculous to leave 99 and go after one. And friends, that's the point. That's the point. God, whose very nature is to love and to constantly seek out, thinks that each one of us here, look around you. Each one of us is so important that God is willing to go to great lengths to come search and find find us. You may be sitting here and other people may have written you off. Maybe you've written yourself off. Maybe you feel you're unlovable. You're unworthy. That nothing that you can do can earn God's love. And of course that's the point. Nothing we can do can earn it. But God out of His very nature, which is to love, 
seeks us out, constantly calls us to come to Him. The second parable that we have is the the parable of the lost coin. Again, in this parable, there is something of the ridiculous. Now, many biblical scholars will say that the woman who lost the coin, in equivalency to, you know, our currency today, it was probably a nickel. So Lisa and Tony, you guys lose a nickel in your house. Would you be willing to upend your entire house, turn everything over, pull up the floorboards in search of a nickel? Not not at Tony's age. He said maybe 20 years ago he would have done that. Not now. And then can you imagine if next Sunday Tony and Lisa walked into church and they said, Hey everybody, guess what? We found a nickel. We're going to throw a party. Everybody's invited over to the pool. We're going to have the best food. The nickel that was lost has been found. Kind of be, I mean, if she lost a thousand dollar bill, maybe you'd start turning things over in the house. But a nickel? Who would do that? God will do that in search of us. God will upend everything, turn things over, searching for us, seeking to find us. It's great news about this parable. In Jesus, it's great news about God and who God is and what God desires to do in our world. The lost sheep, the lost coin. What do they tell us about God? Well, they tell us, as we've been saying, that God will go to great lengths to find us, to search us. Friends, when we we celebrate communion, what is one of the first things we say? Christ died for us while we were what? Still sinners. That what? Proves God's love toward us. The central thesis of the Christian faith, the the primary law of the spiritual life, is that God always searches for us. God takes the initiative. God searches for us. Even before we even know of God, before His grace has been working in our lives and stirring in our souls, God is seeking us. And then we respond to that. You know, John Wesley, the founder of our movement, called that cooperative grace. That we cooperate with God. See, John Wesley and, 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 and Wesleyan Christians have never believed that, um, that we're so dead that we can't respond to God. No, we believe that God always is searching and seeking and giving us grace so that we can respond to God and to be in a relationship with Him. John Wesley called that preventing grace. The grace that goes before. Paving the way, as it were, in our journeys with God. And so we respond to the grace, but it is always grace on offer. God never twists our arm. But God is always seeking and calling, and through His grace... Inviting us to respond. So that's what these parables tell us about God and God and human relationships. There's another core of the spiritual life. Yes, God searches for us. But then when we respond to God, we have a role to play, don't we? We have a way that God calls us to live in this world. And so once we have... The vertical relationship. Once we have received grace from God, it's come into our lives 
and we've become changed, then it needs to be horizontal. Did I get my directions mixed up? Horizontal. Okay, horizontal. <laughs> left and right. I'll, I'll turn left and Amanda says go right. And say, okay, yeah, your other right. Yeah. The horizontal relationship and then the vertical relationship. God's grace that has taken root and hold in our lives should flow out from us. So one of the other, I believe, spiritual laws is, yes, God seeks us first. We respond to God's grace. And then we should live in such a way that people know it. We should live in such a way that our lives, everything we do, is an act of grace and love. We can't keep it in, friends. We can't keep it in. So just like God seeks us, the way that a shepherd is willing to leave 99 and go search for the one, the way that a woman is willing to turn over her entire house for a small coin, we in turn should be willing to go out, to search, to seek, to allow our lives to be an overflow of grace and love so that the little and the last and the least and the lost, especially folks that society says they're done for, they have no place, they're no good. Those are the folks that God is calling us to go reach with His love and His grace. Who are you in the story today? Maybe you're a Pharisee. I've been there. Grumbling. How come, how come good things happen to this person? Do you know what they've done in their lives? That surely, that person can't be worthy of God's grace. I am. I'm a good upstanding church person. Surely I deserve it and they don't. Maybe, maybe you feel like a Pharisee today. And you know what? That's okay. Because another component of an authentic spiritual life is being honest. It's being honest with, with who we are. There have been times I've been a Pharisee. Maybe you're one of those sinners, those tax collectors that Jesus has pulled close to him. That's invited to dine with him, to share a meal. Maybe you're feeling today the grace and the love that can only come from the embrace of Jesus. Maybe today you're kind of feeling like that shepherd. Maybe you're a lost sheep. Hoping, praying that God and someone through whom God's grace can work will, will reach you. Friends, no matter where you find yourself in this moment, no matter what character or situation in this parable resonates with you, hold on to this truth. None of us Nobody is outside of the reach of the love and the mercy and the grace of God. None of us are. No matter what you've done, no matter what you bring with you to this place, whether you've been coming to church for 50 years or five weeks, or maybe this is your first Sunday, I don't know. No matter what, there's room for you at that table. Jesus wants to sit down and dine with you. Jesus wants to pull you close to let you know that He's been searching for you. That He has upended the house. 
that he's gone searching through fields and meadows just to find you. Now the question is, how will you respond? Will you accept his mercy and grace that is always on offer? Will you go with the one who has been searching for you? Amen.